morning. Glad each and every one of you are here with us as we beginning our new year, first Sunday of 2016. First Sunday of 2016. All right, there we go. Okay. Um, yeah, we still have a good number of folks that are, that are out. Um, we also have some people who are sick and people traveling due to you know, a death in their family. And so, uh, we want to have a little time uh, to pray um, at the end of our service today for the, um, those situations. Um, but in this in this time, as we we end one year and begin a new, you know, it's often a time of of reflection. You know, we reflect and think back the previous year and the things that happened, uh, good or bad. Uh, we think about the new year, 2016. We think about um, you know what we would like to see happen. In that new year, the um, things we want uh, to see accomplished and uh, the personal growth in our lives that we, we want to see. You know, sometimes we sit down and we, we set some goals. Um, sometimes that's an exercise in futility because, you know, we <laughs> write down our goals and then don't do much with them, you know, after that. That happens for some folks. Um, other folks are, you know, on it from the get-go and, uh, and, and follow through. Um, but really, th- that's so much based on us a lot of the times, you know, what, what we feel, what we want, what we think. Uh, and so we have to ask that question, bigger questions of what, what, is, what does God say? What does he give as an evaluation of this last year? What does he want to see in our lives, you know, moving forward into this new year? Uh, and that's a healthier you know, approach, because a lot of times we can deal with the, you know, either the self-defeat of I didn't get done, what I didn't want to get done, and that leads to a, a pessimistic outlook to the future, well, I'm probably not going to do any better, you know, moving forward, um, you know, so it can, it can have that aspect of it, um, or it can lead to pride, look at what I've done, look at what I've accomplished, and then look at what I'm going to do, you know, moving forward. You know, even failing to recognize that without God, we wouldn't have breath, you know, itself. And so we have to keep in mind um, who really is the evaluator of all things and where our strength actually comes from to accomplish anything, particularly to accomplish anything significant, anything of lasting value. Um, And so... Uh, I want to talk about that a, a little bit this morning as we move forward. I'm going to give a, a somewhat of a recap of where we've been so far in the book of Luke. So it's been a couple of weeks since we've been there, and it's been a long time since we, you know, months ago since we started the book. And so as we start the new year, kind of want to give a, you know, just a brief overview of the first, you know, nine and a half chapters, and then that'll set up uh, things moving forward um, into into the the rest of. Um, the winter, and into the spring. So before getting into that, I want to say just a couple of other just brief things about this time of year as we talk about Christmas and we talk about, you know, New Year. And, and it's a time of year that's supposed to be joyful, right? I mean, we, 
are, you know, even though we, you know, we historically know Jesus wasn't born on December 25th and, you know, that's highly unlikely and et cetera, et cetera. You know, it's still a time where we think about that more deeply, that we, um, that we celebrate, that we have these times of New Year. But we also have to understand that, that life doesn't work on that sort of calendar. You know, um, it, it's not that, that things bad, that are bad aren't allowed to happen during that time of year. Uh, my next door neighbor, his father in Arizona, passed away a couple of days ago. So now, from this point moving forward, Christmas comes, and that's going to be a reminder of who is not there anymore. And that will always now be part of that, that family's Christmas season, New Year season. You know, in my own family, we have tragedies and you know, terrible things that, you know, from a few years ago that happened around this time of year. And so, it, you know, it can be one of those things like you know you're supposed to be excited and joyful, and yet for many people there's also reason to weep and to, you know, be sad, to contemplate and to pour out their heart before, before God. And so, you know, we, we need to understand that, and, and we have to to take the both end of that. And so my encouragement is, if you are a person who has reason to mourn in this time, don't feel guilty about that. Mourn because that's what it is for you. For you. That's your, your reality. And at the same time, maintain a hopeful and optimistic outlook. And for those of you who don't have any tragedies surrounding this time of year or it's great losses surrounding this time of year and it's kind of all optimistic for you, Keep in mind those around you and that their perspective, it's going to be harder for them to have that perspective because of what they've personally experienced and what they've endured, you know, in their lives. But what we need throughout all of this is we need the gospel of Jesus Christ in the good and in the bad, in the victories and in the failures. Remember that Luke wrote, to Theophilus in chapter 1 in the beginning he says you know that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed because sometimes those tragic things or those those experiences of great loss cause you to question you know what do i believe what does it all matter is this all real and it's good to be reminded as Luke wrote to Theophilus that he would know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed so perhaps even this morning, you need to be reaffirmed, you need to be reminded of the certainty of Jesus and who he is and why he is with us. And so with, let's keep that in mind uh, this morning and, uh, and let's pray as we all need the reality of Jesus in our daily lives. Uh, Heavenly Father, we come to you now, we love you, we praise you, we Ask God for those who are in pain and hurting in this time of year that, Lord, you would comfort and you would heal. That they would know your presence. Emmanuel, God with us. And for those who have more reason to celebrate, and really we all have reason to celebrate, because, Father, you sent your Son into this world, into this earth, to live among us, to put on human flesh, to endure temptation to endure suffering, to go to the cross on our behalf and to pay for our sins. But yet the grave could not hold him.
And that Jesus, you are a risen Savior and a risen King and that all authority is yours. Help us to be reminded of that this morning. Help us to submit our lives to your authority and to live for your glory and for your honor. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we ask these things. Amen. So in Luke chapter 1, um, and again, we're just going to briefly go through um, what, who, the setup of what we've had so far and to be reminded of these things. But in Luke chapter 1, we have the announcements of the birth of John and the birth of Jesus. And when Elizabeth, John's mother, went to visit Mary, neither having had their child yet, she says, Blessed are you among women, is what Elizabeth says to Mary, chapter 1, verse 42, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And I just love this, you know, statement of faith that before, you know, John or Jesus are even born, you know, Elizabeth knows she's been instructed, you know, by the Holy Spirit. And she knows that the one that um, she is carrying is special, but not nearly as special as the one that her relative Mary is carrying, that Jesus is her Lord. That's powerful. Jesus is still in the womb, and Elizabeth says, my Lord. Awesome. And then we have part of Mary's song, verse 49, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. Later on, we have Zacharias' prophecy at the birth of John that John would give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. In Luke 2, we move on to the birth of Jesus you know, in, a lowly, in a lowly place, the announcement of his birth by the angels to the shepherds, you know, just a common, ordinary people. And then we see Jesus presented in the temple and Simeon's prophecy that Jesus is quote, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel, verse 32. And then that prophecy confirmed by the elderly widow, Anna. And then Luke 10, I mean, Luke 2 ends with Jesus as a 12-year-old boy amazing the scribes in the temple. That's a lot to happen. They're kind of longer chapters, but a lot happens in Luke 1 and 2. And then uh, in Luke 3, we have an adult, John the Baptist, preparing the way for Jesus, fulfilling what was said by the Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked, crooked places shall be made straight and the rough ways smooth and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Jesus is the answer and John's John the Baptist had a mission to prepare the way for Jesus, to to smooth the path for Jesus, to give accessibility to him um, for the people. But what a great vision for us as we start a new year and look into 2016 and we think about people in our lives that, you know, we need to help make straight paths for, to make a path for Jesus, for them to see him. And there's going to be people that we haven't even met yet who we need to do that for in 2016 and to be looking for those people. 
is we, we acknowledge the reality that you and I, we are not the answer. But we have the answer. You and I are not the answer, but we have the answer. The answer is Jesus. And so we have that responsibility to make the rough ways smooth. That all flesh shall see the salvation of God. To bear witness of Jesus. In Luke 4, we have the temptation of Jesus. 40 days without food in the wilderness. The temptation by the, by the devil. We see that the devil used the, that Satan used the scripture. He twisted the scripture, but he uses it in a twisted way to, to attack Jesus and to try to trip him up. And Jesus handles that by correctly using the scripture and answering him with the scripture, you know, really his own word, um, but used in the proper way, used in the correct way. And, you know, that's just an, an instruction there that is so key for us that we would grow in our understanding of the Word of God, that we would be able to use the Scriptures correctly in their context, used properly, not in a twisted way, but in their proper way. Uh, and in order for this to happen, each one of us have to take time in the Word of God. You know, we have our you know, Sunday time where we you know, teach through the Word, you know, and we try to do so most of the time in a book-by-book fashion because we want you to know the Word. The same thing in our house fellowships, and you know, we've got our plan, you know, multi-year out plan of the books that we're going through so we can make sure that we're teaching you know, the whole counsel of the Word of God is our desire with that. But there's a reality that if all you receive is what you get on Sunday mornings and at house fellowship, that there is going to be a lack in your life. There has to be your own personal time you know, in the Word, um, and that, you know, it should be a, a daily endeavor, and that consistency with that, uh, you know, you, you have that consistency of, of each day, you have, you know, effort put into it, so you have quality, you know, it's not just, oh, you know, let me read a verse and five minutes later forget about it and move on, but you have quality with that. If it's not you know, truly a spiritual discipline and habit already in your life that you have accountability until it becomes that, and even after that, you know it's a, it's accountability and it and it's helpful, um, you know. And and I, I I personally get a lot out of seeing what other people are are learning and what other people are reading. And some of you are already you know in like little groups where uh, you know you send a text of here was what I read and here was my key point you know, for the day. Um, if you're not part of something like that that helps motivate you and helps you learn from what other people are going on, ask for that. Like, get into that. Do that. Because that'll help you to be consistent. And especially with things that aren't a habit yet, we really need accountability in order to get us, you know, on track and to keep us going, you know, on those, on those lines. And the same thing is true for anything. You know, that's, that's why I... A, a lot of the um, goals that people write down when they have a new year don't come to fruition is because there isn't, there's the goal, but there isn't a plan and there isn't accountability to see it through. And so then when, you know, oh, I don't want to do that today, turns into I don't want to do that for two days to I don't want to do that for three days to four days, well, then it, you know, it leaves off. 
it just goes it just goes away and that's where that sense of discouragement comes from you know so take what's manageable take what you know is realistic you know in your life and in your schedule but also make the sacrifice and make the time in order for it to actually happen you know that's what's key you know with all of it and remember that that Jesus took the time to pray. You know, it's not just about reading our Bibles. You know, there's also that, that prayer and the, the time to talk, you know, to God and to listen and, you know, to, to check everything that you think you're hearing even in your prayers through the Word. <coughs> you know, sometimes people will say, well, the Lord told me this. You know, when I was praying, the Lord instructed me, whatever. But if that's opposite of what the Word says, well, you know you weren't hearing right. Or it wasn't God who was speaking, because yeah, God's not going to contradict himself. Um, so we have the word. But just think about in the first nine chapters of Luke that we've already had of Jesus going to pray. Luke, 30, Luke 3, 21 and 22. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. And while he prayed, the heaven was open, and the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven and said, which said, you are my beloved son, and you I am well pleased. But notice there, at Jesus' baptism, he prayed. Luke five sixteen. so he often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Luke six twelve. now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray, and he continued all night in prayer to God. Luke nine eighteen. and it happened as he was alone praying that his disciples joined him, and he asked them, saying, who do the crowds say? That I am. Luke 9, 28 and 29. Now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. So just there we see so far in the book, book of Luke, Jesus taking the time to pray. And though in his public ministry there were always people, there were always things to do, there were always things pressing Jesus still took the time and made the time to be alone with God and to pray. And so many times we use the excuse of, you know, I got too many things going on. I'm too busy. I don't have time for that today. And it's really the wrong sort of approach. Because even if we, especially if we're busy, especially if we have a lot of responsibilities, We should say, well, I have a lot of responsibilities. I have a lot of other people that are counting on me, you know, my family or my people at my work or, you know, my friends and neighbors and these things. Like, these people are counting on me. Therefore, I better be prayed up. I better take the time to pray. The busier or the more pressed you are, the more, even the more important it is to take the time to pray. It's not... The, you know, we think about it so many times in the opposite way that we should. Because how can we do those things in a meaningful way and in a way that's going to make a difference ultimately in the kingdom of God for eternity if we're just doing it in our own strength without prayer? And so that's a, something you know, to preach to myself and to preach to all of us here. Again, we have that just that kind of just that reality, consistency plus quality plus accountability equals growth. We want to see each person grow 
in 2016. In Luke 4, 18, we have beginning the purpose of Jesus' public ministry. He gave this in the synagogue at Nazareth, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Uh, these are a couple of my favorite verses, you know, in the Bible as um, Jesus quotes and, and gives from Isaiah that he's really the fulfillment of this prophecy that Isaiah made. And we see in it, what do you have here? You have Jesus saying that he is a proclaimer of the good news to the poor, but he's not someone who's just going to talk about it. He's also going to act on it, and he's going to do so with power, you know, with his spiritual, the spiritual authority that he has. We need to remember this about Jesus. Jesus <laughs> didn't just talk a good game. He, he had the actions to back it up, as we'll see clearly here moving forward. But just when it comes to serving people and, you know, this is much further in the, in the story, in the life of Jesus, but just remember that Jesus washed people's feet. He washed the feet of his disciples. Like, he wasn't above, you know, certain tasks. Jesus would volunteer to clean the toilet. Let's just be real about that. And so if we ever think we're too important to clean a toilet, well, or that's below us in some way, well, we've kind of missed the way of Jesus along the way. Missed the way of Jesus. Because he's certainly not above that. Um, And so, you know, we want to keep that in mind, and we want to see that Jesus had action. It didn't keep him, his actions didn't keep him from proclaiming, though. He was still one who, you know, gave the gospel, and he was, you know, one who taught the truth and taught the people how to live. But again, he had, his actions backed that up. And so, you know, I, as I look at our church, you know, as one hope, we, you know, we've got the, the proclamation side pretty solid. We do, that, we do that well. And individually, you know, many people do this serving others, you know, well. But there is something to be said for serving together, and I think that we can do that better. And the elders, you know, we're in agreement on this, that we as a church can serve others more effectively and better working together. And so we want to do that more um, in 2016. You know, we, we, we always are trying to balance things, right? Because you have to have teaching, you have to have time for that, you have to have fellowship, you have to have time for that. You want to have service, you want to have outreach, you know, you have to have time for those things. You also have the reality that people also, you know, have families and need to spend quality time with their children. You have the reality that people have jobs and that's a large time requirement, you know, during the week. That people do need a certain amount of sleep a day, you know, these sort of things. And then we need a certain amount of rest. We need a certain amount of, you know, we, this one into culture, we put too much emphasis on, but we need a certain amount of recreation and entertainment. Now, a lot of those hours could be used for more profitable things. Let's just be, be real. <coughs> you know, if, you go on a, if you have time for a Netflix binge, 
you have time for a lot of other stuff. I mean, that's, you know, not that you can't do that every once in a while. But let's just, you know, think about how we use our time, take a fair evaluation of that as opposed to a what we want the picture to look like or the story we want to sell to other people to make ourselves look good or busy or important or whatever. We also fight against just a culture of busyness. And so we don't want people just being busy for the sake of being busy. We want people doing things that are important and doing things that matter, you know, and not just doing busy work, so to speak, in the name of Jesus that really isn't stuff he's asked us to do or asked us to participate in. And so we're, we have to make these evaluations. And as individuals and as a church, we, are also, we also make evaluations. We have to make evaluations between what's good and what is good that God has called us to do. Because there's lots of good that God's called other people to do. But he hasn't called each one of us or us as a church to do everything. We, you know, there is a limitation of time and resource. And so we have to evaluate that and we have to take that seriously because we have to be good stewards of all of our lives, right? That being said, we want to provide more opportunities for people to work together, serve one another, to serve our community. And so you know, when we throw those things out you know, on the calendar, you know, put them there and put them in. You don't have to participate in all of them, but please make sure you're participating in some of them so that we have enough people to where working together makes a difference and is, is valuable. Um, okay, moving on. So what we see primarily in the public ministry of Jesus is him displaying his authority and his power. That's such a huge theme throughout the book of Luke is the authority and power of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, we saw that in chapter 4 um, in the synagogue when he just, you know, gave that message um, from Isaiah, when he reads that, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The people are astonished. You know, they're kind of taken aback. And then Jesus starts to preach against them. And when he does, he preaches against them using examples of, of the Gentiles and the people get so angry at him that they drive him out of the synagogue and, you know, toward a cliff and their desire is to kill him. And then Jesus just walks right through in their midst. Chapter 4, verse 30. He just walks right through the midst. And so we see here that Jesus had the authority over his own life and his own death. That's powerful. Jesus has the authority over his own life and of his own death. No one could take him before his time. He had authoritative teaching. When he goes down to Capernaum, we read in verse 32, they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. In chapter 5, verses 33 through 39, we see that he had the authority to fulfill the law and to establish something new, something we've come to know as the new covenant. He has the authority to teach how we should live. We see this in his teaching on the Beatitudes, to love our neighbor, to not judge with evil intentions, but to help heal one another um, and to build our lives on him by obeying 
his teachings. We saw that he had the authority to confirm to John's disciples that he is the one that they have been waiting for. We see that in Luke 7. Luke 8, we see that he had the authority to teach through parables. See there the parable of the sower and the parable of the lamp. We see that Jesus had the authority to heal. In Luke 4, we see him heal Peter's mother-in-law and many others. In Luke 5, we see him heal the leper and the paralytic. A great multitude in chapter 6. The centurion servant in chapter 7. He raised the, um, the widow's son from the dead in Luke 7 as well. And he healed the woman who touched his garment and publicly restored her dignity and raised a young girl from the dead in chapter 8. We see that he has authority over the Sabbath in chapter 4 and chapter 6 and that he has authority to heal on the Sabbath. He's the one who made it in the first place. He had the authority to call disciples in chapter 5. We see him called a fisherman as well as Matthew the tax collector. We see the official um, recognition of the 12 in Matthew chapter 6 and the authority to send out his disciples in chapter 9. We saw that Jesus had authority over nature, the calming of the sea, in chapter 8, where they say, Who can this be? For he commands even the winds and water, and they obey him. And we see him feed the multitudes with only five loaves of bread and two fish. Think about that. Jesus has such authority and such power. The winds and the waves, he can just say, Stop, be calm, and they are. And he can take matter he can take a you know a finite amount of bread five you know pieces of bread and two pieces of fish and he can multiply that exponentially as much as he desires to he can create more out of what is limited i mean that, that's mind blowing that's mind blowing he has the power to do that so he had authority over demons in luke chapter 4 we see that and in Luke chapter 8, we see that he freed some of the women who became followers and supporters of his ministry, including Mary Magdalene. We saw that he had the authority to forgive sins. He didn't just heal the paralytic and let him walk, but he forgave the man's sins as well. See, the, the sinful woman in Luke chapter 7 that came um, to Simon's house and who went to his feet and wiped his, his feet with her hair, with her tears, we saw that he forgave her sins. He said, Jesus has the authority to start a new family. He says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. In Luke chapter 8, verse 21. And he has the authority to demand all. Luke 9 23 and through 27, he says, He said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his fathers and of the holy angels. But I tell you true that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. And then we see that he had the authority to give a preview of the future, as right after that, 
or eight days later, go up to the mountain and he prays. You know, we already read earlier about how his appearance was, was changed, how he shone brightly, and he stood in his glory with Moses and Elijah on the mountain. And that's a preview of when he returns in his second coming. But we have, you know, the, the glory of Jesus. So what do we do with all of this? What do we do with all of this authority and power that Jesus has? Because I just want to remind us when he, of what he said, um, you know, when his family came to see him and they said, oh, your family, you know, your mother, your brothers are outside. He says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Do we take that seriously? When he says, if everyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Do we take Jesus seriously at his word there? Do we take him seriously that he has the authority to demand everything of us? And there comes a question there, am I denying myself? Am I saying no to my flesh and yes to Jesus? Because it does seem here that what Jesus is saying is that part of following him is self-denial. Saying no to ourselves is part of following him. And somehow, people have kind of conjured up this Jesus that, yeah, you believe in him, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose from the dead, and then you can live your life however you want to live it, and it's okay. And, you know, Jesus loves you and blesses you. And it ignores the reality of what Jesus taught. You know, what did he say about you know, he's a wise man who builds his house on the rock? You know, that's the person who you know, hears his word and obeys it. You know, that key word, obey. That thing we desire our children to do. Is the same thing that God desires his children to do. To obey. How seriously do we take that? He says, you know, the, the wise person builds his life on the teachings of Jesus, obeys them. The foolish person hears the teaching but doesn't. And what happens when the storm comes? One stands and one is one falls, and great was its fall, great was its destruction. <coughs> and then we have here in Luke 9. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. To deny ourselves. What does that mean? What does that that mean in your life to deny yourself and to follow Jesus? So reality is I can't answer that question of what that means in your life beyond a certain point. I mean, I I can give the general it means to obey the teachings of Jesus. And we know obvious things. We know obvious things like striving for being sexually pure, not lusting, not committing adultery, like we not 
murdering, not being hateful to others. You know, I mean, if you're being a racist, we can say, clearly that goes against Jesus. All right, that's wrong. Like, there's those general things that are obvious and that are the generally, general teachings. But there are more specific things that can only be answered between you and God. What you're supposed to do as far as your you know, profession or not having a profession, what are you supposed to do, you know, in terms of, well, I'll have a profession. Some of them are called professions and some of them not. If you understand what I'm saying. But what are you called to do in terms of where you live? What sort of lifestyle you have, a standard of living? Those are questions between you and Jesus primarily. And we can, say, we can look at some you know, extremes, we can look at extreme, you know, um, flaunting of, of wealth and waste of resources, and we can say, that's wrong. There's a lot of others that's there that we go, I can't say yes or no for your life, because that's between you and the Lord, right? And so, but we have, we have these sorts of, of questions, Certain ways in how you spend your time, certain things you do volunteer or don't volunteer for. A lot of, you know, these can be questions that you have to answer on your own before the Lord. The encouragement for each one of us, myself and my family included, is that we have everything with open hands before the Lord, that we acknowledge that it's all His. And that we're willing for him to take anything out of it that he desires. To use it differently or to get rid of it or whatever he wants to do. But that we hold it all with open hands. That we don't have one, you know. Some people have, their hands are like this. It's just open. It's all the Lord's and that's how they view it and that's how they live it. And other people have, you know, a partially closed fist and an open fist. And other people have a closed fist and an open fist. Other people is like this, and other people, you know, both are closed. It's all closed. Where are you? How are you, or how are your hands? How are your fists? What's open and what's not? What needs to be released? You want freedom. You know, we want freedom, right? We want. We don't want to be captive of of sin, oppression of these things. We want freedom. Well, a lot of that is opening our hands before God and trusting him. It's, like it's, it's yours. You can do with it what you want. And some of that is very difficult. If you're a single person, can you be open about you know, the future of whether you're going to be married or not married? That can be a hard thing. If you have, you know, you've had, kind of had this dream of being married, but what if the Lord calls you to be single? What if he's called you for that? Are you willing to have an open hand with that and say yes to the Lord? Or maybe you really just like your independence, but Lord knows it's a lot better, and he has a person for you, but you're living like you just always want to be single. And it's a closed fist. You kind of have to open it in order for anything to change. 
You see, so it could go either way. And for your life, you know, another person usually isn't the one to say. Sometimes somebody has discernment and can see from the Lord into your life. But what does the Lord himself say to you on that? Or whatever the issue is. Are we asking him? Or do we just make our decisions and then we ask the Lord to bless them post being made? We get an idea, we get something, a dream or something, we get it wrapped into our head, we go, this is what I want to do. We start pursuing it, we get in kind of deep, and then we realize, well, wait, maybe I should start praying. Sometimes we don't even recognize it then and we've already gone so far and we've made the decision and then we're like, okay, Lord, this is what I've done. Will you please bless it? If you do one thing in 2016, talk to Jesus on the front end of the decisions and seek counsel because the scripture does encourage us to seek counsel. The scripture does encourage us to you know, ask the opinion of others about the you know, decisions in our life. There's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. Like the scripture is clear about that. But then you also have to discernment and you have to ask the Lord, show me whose counsel is from you and whose is not. And you need to seek counsel from the right people, seek wise people to seek counsel from. Sometimes people don't have the discernment of who they're asking counsel from. They just go to their friend. Well, a friend might not know up from down. And a friend says whatever, you know, that they read in, you know, some self-help article or on the web or some magazine and go, hey, I think this. And it could be completely contrary to the advice of the Word of God. We see this happen all the time. You know, people will go, you know, my boyfriend wants to move in with me. What do you, you know, or this or that. You go talk to their friend like, well, you know, it might be a good idea to see how things work out before you make any commitment to be married. That seems like good counsel, except it's not. There's even statistical research to back it up that that's not good counsel. But it's popular counsel. So we need to seek the Lord's wisdom and to seek wisdom from godly people who who it's obvious that they love the Lord and are, are living for the Lord currently, actively. Not that they just have a reputation that they have lived for the Lord. But our faith is to be current and active in 2016. So we have that question of what's the spiritual reality? Does Jesus have the authority in my life? Does Jesus have the authority in your life? And is your heart's desire to obey him. That all comes down to a heart issue because it's really difficult to make the flesh want to obey Jesus because the flesh is contrary to the spirit. So a lot of times the first step is, Lord, change my heart. The acknowledgement that something is wrong in one's heart and the need, Lord, change my heart and give me the strength and the power that comes from you, your authority in my life, that I would submit myself to you and that you would give me the strength to live under your authority and to say yes to you, Jesus, whatever it is that you've asked.
Um, heard one time there was a preacher, and he knew he was preaching in a church where the people tended to be, you know, very into the messages, and they tended to be very, you know, kind of emotional, kind of emotional crew. And so he gets up there, and he just starts, you know, with a, yes, Lord. And the people are like, yes, Lord. You know, and he goes back, yes, Lord. The people are like, yes, Lord. And the guy goes back and forth for like five minutes of, yes, Lord. And then he says, Lord, we've given you the answer. Now you give us a question. And he walks off. That's good. That's good. So, you know, that's where the faith comes in. That we're willing to say yes to Jesus, sometimes not knowing what he's asked of us yet. What it's going to cost yet. But we trust him. We trust him that he's good and that his glory is worth it. And that his glory is more important than even our blessings. That's the last thing I want to hit this morning is that so many times, we're, again, this other gospel that is you know, kind of preached is like, well, God has your best intentions at heart, so you can trust him. That you know what? That's true. But not in the way that you think it is or the way that you're prone to think about it. It's true in that God has your ultimate, eternal best at heart. But that certainly can be very contrary than what you think is best here on this life, here and now. Because his best for Stephen was to die at the hands of people who, throw, who stoned him to death. That was God's best for Stephen's life. Well, how's that for a message? I mean, that, that's not like a popular, like, you know, we can, we can sell this message. You know, God's best for your life is to be stoned to death. Well, for some people, that's reality. That that was God's best for their life here on this earth. That's just fact. Because God's best was revolved around God's glory. And that a person's eternal best, giving ultimate glory to God. And being with God forever and ever. So yes, you can trust him, but... It's different than the ways that we often want to think about that. Because we want to think about trusting him in terms of our personal safety and security. And that's not God's highest agenda for us, for his people. And there's plenty in the scripture and plenty in church history to back that up. And so, if again... If you want God to be good, there's no issue there. If you want God to be safe for you, you might have a different definition of safe than he has. Because the key thing is, is he holds our eternity in his hands. That's why we, we can trust him. and We strive for his glory and for his honor. And hopefully that helps us to live our our lives with open hands. But that's not it's not easy. Anybody who says it easy is probably selling something or selling a different gospel. Because Jesus said the way is difficult. He says it's difficult. Let's not try to change it and make it when he said it's difficult and we try to make it easy. 
It's difficult. May God give us the strength and power to follow him this year. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We love you. We praise you and we acknowledge your word is tough and sometimes it honestly and should just freak us out. But help us to love you to the point where you are our first and that we are willing to live with open hands and we're willing to lay our lives down. We're willing to say yes to you, not even knowing everything that you've asked yet. Help us, Lord Jesus, we pray. Help us not to buy into false gospels or pseudo-truth or things that are just partially true. Lord, help us to follow you as you really are because Jesus, you are worthy. We're thankful that in everything we've seen, we see that you are compassionate and that you are loving. Help us, Jesus, to take you seriously. Show each of us in our lives where we don't take you seriously. Show us things you want us to give up and things you want to be different and help us to say yes to you, whatever you ask us, Jesus. With our plans, with our goals, with our hopes, Lord, help us to bring everything to you. Help us to bring blank paper to you and ask you to fill it in that we wouldn't just be people who ask you to bless what we're going to try to do anyway, but we would be people who seek your face. Help us this morning, we pray. Help us in this new year, we pray, dear Jesus. As we take the bread and the cup, we remember you. We remember the cost of our salvation. You paid the ultimate price, Jesus, and that anything we're asked to pay in the following of you is small in comparison to what you gave up and to what you did and to what you've given us, because you've given us yourself. Help us to love you, Jesus, in your precious name.